Hello everyone, this is Cassie Burns, co-founder of All Your Data. I'm an attorney who's been using AI and machine learning for 10 years. I love data and love talking to people about data, and that's what this podcast is about. Each episode of Cassie and will feature a new guest. Each guest comes from a different background with a different approach and attitude towards technology. We'll talk about their experiences and hopefully we'll learn a thing or two. Thanks for joining. Let's get started with Cassie and Bowie and Burns back together. Let's see if I can add some nice clapping sounds for that. Yes, Bowie and Burns <laughs> back together. <laughs> You're the video engineer, the sound engineer. There we go. That's right. It's hard. It's really hard doing everything. Now, we're Bowie and Burns. Jerry, do you want to give a quick preview of kind of the genesis of our collaborations? Yeah, I think that you and I were doing things independently, you know, social media, webinars. And since we're both in Dallas, we had this, we were following each other and had a connection on TikTok originally. We decided to collaborate since we talked about a lot of similar emerging tech topics and had different perspectives, of course, because I'm a testifying forensic expert and you are a emerging tech lawyer. So I think those two vantage points really complete a nice picture for our industry, for those e-discoverists and forensicators out there who want to listen and get our perspectives on the latest and greatest technological advances, which there are no, there's no shortage of that in 2023. Right, right. And we had a series of Take 5 podcasts that we were running probably about eight months ago where the theme was we're going to have five topics and we're going to cover them in 30 minutes. And so here at the end of the year, we wanted to pick it back up. We both got busy, kind of went our separate ways, but we, we found time to meet up, get together for the holidays. I'll be home for Christmas and all that jazz. And we want to <laughs> talk about not necessarily what happened in 2023, but what we think will be the emerging tech trends of 2024. So with that, the first emerging tech prediction that we think is going to be big, and we, we talked beforehand, so we're both on the same page, is AR. <laughs> now, Metaverse a year ago was what everyone's talking about, and that got quite real fast. <laughs> but I yeah. think AR is going to like, sneak in and be the thing that gets us all excited in 2024. I think AI, some of the buzz will die down because once the fun police, i.e. regulators kind of come in, maybe it'll be like less exciting. But tell me what you think is going to cause AR to get pushed to the forefront, Jerry. Yeah, I think it's Apple really as the catalyst for for AR, especially with the way that they've implemented it in their headset. So we've gotten a preview in 2023, but it's going to be released in February of 2024. It's the Apple Vision Pro. And that's where it has a lot of see-through features so that you can not be completely cut off from the real world in a virtual reality space, but really blend a lot of augmented reality features into your physical space. I think with the amount of R&D that they've done with their quality control and they've seen and they obviously take things slowly slower than most and have studied their competition studied the the evolution of things I think Meta is also a leader a pioneer and I think was the most had the most commercial success around their 
their Oculus acquisition, now their headset known as MetaQuest, where it was completely enclosed with some see-through features. I mean, the new newer Quest 3, I think, is has better AR, consistent with the direction that Apple is going. But then, interestingly enough, they also have their Ray-Ban Meta glasses, which is which perhaps you, on the opposite you... end of the spectrum. And you bought those. You have a pair, right? Yeah. You have mm-hmm. Oculus and the Ray-Ban glasses. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like yeah, they're, they're on opposite ends of the yeah. They're both on the opposite ends of the form factor spectrum, and, and present different use cases entirely. If you want to escape into a fantasy world, you put on your Oculus headset uh, or your um, Quest headset. And if you want to, because the Ray Ban Meta glasses look like real glasses, they don't look like Google Glass back in the early days last <laughs> decade, where you look like some kind of cyber or not cyber but what is it called Sorry. when you're a machine and human cyborg cyborg uh, mm-hmm. some kind of cy- yeah cyborg with the way they design those glasses they've teamed up with Ray-Ban and so it the glasses are actually prescript have prescription lenses and mine also have transition lenses so they go from regular eyeglasses to sunglasses so you can wear them all the Very time cool. the idea is to wear them all the time i'm not wearing it now but hey i can actually show everyone now yeah um, they also have embedded in them the camera. So there's a camera and a tally light that will blink whenever you're recording video or when you're shooting a still picture. So it has that capability along with a Bluetooth speaker that's built into the stems or the arms of the glasses. So you get this very lightweight version of enhanced internet connected devices, but it also has meta AI. So it's AI integrated. This is something that isn't built into the Quest headsets. So I think what you'll see with Meta is experimentation around these two form factors until they meet in the middle and achieve, I think, a vision where it's lightweight, it has AI built in, it has AR capabilities, augmented reality capabilities. And that's more of what people would like to see and more are more likely to wear on a full-time basis. This metaverse escape to a fantasy world vision that was being predicted maybe over a year ago seems impractical based on what's been deployed in the marketplace recently. And I, I think AR is going to be big because we're seeing industries like fashion and beauty starting to leverage it more and more for AR try-ons, AR mock-ups of how this product might work with your skin or this makeup, which we've, we've seen a little bit through filters on social media apps. But I think that I've seen the past year, a lot of fashion brands are playing with that. And I think they're going to push that more. And fashion, I think, is still that industry that is still playing around with the VR space some um, more than maybe other industries. So I, I think like that's going to help push things forward, creating a consumer use case for it, not just a entertainment necessarily or or an escapism use case for it. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's All squarely right. where the Ray-Ban Metas, Metas fits in. It's this fashion form factor where you have to crawl before you walk, where you go from your mobile headset to a wearable watch to a something like these regular looking glasses on your face. Granted, the Apple Vision Pro is not something you'd wear outside. So it's not augmented reality in the sense that you wear it full time. You can't wear it while you're, you wouldn't wear it while you're driving, that sort of thing. It's more of like layering in a, d- additional internet 
enabled interface when you're kind of walking around the house or walking around the office, right? For the Vision Pros. But I've heard people who have used those or tested the that device that it's an amazing experience. And for those that can part with up to $3,000 come February, 2024, we'll be able to experience it for ourselves. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Gen 2 is like with the, their headset, because I'm sure that they will do some heavy tweaking beyond first gen. But we have to move on since it is a take five. Uh, and Jerry, do you want to lead with our next topic? It's another A phrase, an A acronym. It's AGI. So let's talk a little bit about AGI. Yeah. Artificial General Intelligence, not to be confused with GAI, which I think is the <laughs> acronym that you favor for generative AI. Um, and I think mm -hmm. it's catching on. So AGI is artificial general intelligence where the AI becomes much more human-like and can accomplish everyday human tasks. I got a taste of what, or a taste of how close we are with looking at Google's latest release and their foundational model called Gemini. It turns out the demo that I watched that I was so impressed by and many others were impressed by was a heavily edited video to demonstrate Gemini's capabilities. Did you hear about that, Cassie? I did hear about that. Yeah, yeah. Did it make you reassess your position or do you think that's just the Silicon way of doing things? <laughs> uh, both. One, it didn't make me reassess how close we were to AGI because I think I was ready to say that it's the precursor preview to AGI, but I think we're probably farther away given that that the speed of the response of Gemini was not as as quick as they portrayed. And it makes sense from a um, marketing standpoint. You don't want to wait you know, as long as you need to for the computer to respond, like ChatGPT takes a while to respond to, especially if you're mm -hmm. using it through voice commands or even meta AI as I'm using them through the glasses. It's not as prompt as a real back and forth human interaction, which is what uh, Google portrayed, but it's still impressive. Nevertheless, the multi, the true multimodal capabilities of Gemini are amazing. Even the open AI has multimodal models. You're really switching from one model to another when you're going mm -hmm. from text to visual. So those generative AI capabilities are kind of separated, whereas in Gemini, it's all part of the foundational model and it, it's able to uh, move between those interactions and commands pretty effortlessly. The speed at which that happens is something that was misportrayed perhaps, but can only get faster over time. And so how long would it will it take for Gemini to truly match what they demonstrated in that video? Not long. I don't think it'll take yeah. long at all. So that's my take on yeah. it. What about you? I, I would agree. I, I think it'll probably get to the speed that was demoed faster than we may realize but i i do i found like the multimodal aspects going to open ai's chat gpt whenever they launched turbo i i'm just really hung up on the use of turbo it makes me wonder why what were the other verbs that they considered for the <laughs> extra version of chat gpt4 but I found that there were times whenever I was trying to do image with the the chat function, it was clunky or it's just like, oh, I'm not working right now. So I think that yeah. it will become more seamless over time, not just with OpenAI, but of course with Google and all the others that are out there. What I'm really 
I still struggle a little bit with these tools are still, you're still working within OpenAI or, I mean, I've not played with Bard as much, but I think of the pod, my podcast, whenever I, I had time to produce my podcast and I would go this app to record, this app to edit, this app to create social media content, this app to create assets for the social media content. And I really would, and I, I create, created a, a very easy, seamless process of I'm doing it at the exact same time over and over again. And I would love as soon as this thing is recorded, or at least I hand edit it, because I still like to hand edit it with AI assistance. I would love for the rest of that just to get automated. And for open AI, you still have to work within each little walled garden a little bit. And I've seen that there are some external apps, I think it's Zapier or something like that, where it will actually kick off that automated functionality. Yeah. And that's something I want to play around with. I don't know if you've played around with it, but that's something that that I I feel like that to I me have. is like the next generation of engaging with these LLMs is how do you make it go outside of its own thing or engage with something outside of its own thing to make it a full circle of work product. Yeah, AGI. I think there's going to be different tech stacks that you rely on ultimately, right? And so some of it's Gen AI. And I think that's ultimately how you accomplish AGI is that mm -hmm. you have to have all these different components that people are experimenting with. And then you mm -hmm. unify that ultimately in a new foundational model that contains all aspects. I think the movement of people through space and the data that's provided there is going to be key along with robotics. Obviously, there's Tesla with their new with their new ro humanoid robot that's been demoed recently too. Have you seen that? That's pretty impressive. Have, it's going to be imbued yeah. with AI. It's just a hu humanoid version of Tesla's AI on four wheels, which is their uh, automobile, right? So they have massive amounts of data and capability. I respect startups that are doing stuff in the AI space because it's quite the gamble because as soon as any of the companies like OpenAI or Microsoft or Google create new features, it could put you out of business, right? Mm -hmm. Because it, it, they're seeing, when they see the success of these small startups and small special built apps or devices or anything like that, ultimately it could be incorporated or integrated, folded into the foundational. Like ChatGPT Premium now is like amazing. It just keeps adding on new functionality. And just all this data, all these efforts, all the money that's flowing into the space is, I think, going to fulfill the ultimate the ultimate end goal, which is AGI. That's really where right. I think all of that leads because you can incorporate all of the advancements in those different areas. Some company is going to incorporate all the advancements in those areas into an AGI. Imagine the notoriety that you get when you first accomplish AGI. And that's almost the sensation you got with Gemini that anything is possible because it was a gen AI that was not able to not only able to do text and and images natively at the foundational level, but it also did video and audio, which OpenAI still can't do. It just makes me want to go play around with it. And actually the intro music that I created for this was through an AI tool by Google's test kitchen. It's music FX. So um, lots of lots of fun with that. And also a lot of focus on audio to text. You know, me with my e-discovery brain, I, it makes me think just text-related data is going to become, we're going to have more native audio data and audio visual data, I think. So in the corporate world. But we got to move on to our third topic. Uh, 
which is a word that not maybe not a lot of people know what it is. And that is solopreneurship. That is a mouthful. I know this is one that you recommended you wanted to talk about. Can you just even level set and explain what solopreneurship even is? Yeah, that's entrepreneurs that are one-man shops. And the reason why I think the trend in 2024 is going to go that direction is that a lot of people want to dive into AI and create AI-driven companies. And there are a lot of AI tools, gen AI tools, sorry, let me be specific, gen AI tools out there that help you start a company where the human resources that you would normally require can be fulfilled by chatbots and job responsibility specific chatbots. Customization is already out there to fulfill the, the customer service function, the ticketing handling. I mean, again, there's already software out there, but it's software plus an intelligence that handles that workflow flow much more effectively because it can scan the content of the text, interpret it in a very human-like way, and make judgments around um, where to take things on a decision tree basis to fulfill different functions and requests. So, uh, you know, accounting, customer service, tech support, uh, there's all kinds of things that a solopreneur can leverage in order to get their business off the ground. And I think the time is ripe for that, not only because of the technology is there, but there's also been a lot of layoffs. And I think that some people, if they've been laid off, they may say, you know what, I'm going to use this, this opportunity that's unfortunate to maybe start my own business because the barriers to entry are lowered because technology can help us out. So I agree with you. And I think we've seen a history of that the past five plus years, the hustle culture out there, content creators, and becoming a legitimate job. But I, I think that can maybe be an inspiration and not that solopreneurship is necessarily being an influencer, but being able to market and being able to delegate mm. things to an AI system, it gives you more ability to actually go out on your own and start your own business. Yeah. The headwind there though, is that money is expensive. Right, mm -hmm. venture capital in 2024 is going to be totally different than it was during the COVID era, for example, where interest rates were basically zero. But it just again will be a trend because of AI, Gen AI, and to be able to do more with less in terms of the funding. Like when you do go out and do your seed rounds or your initial rounds, I think that you'll be asking for less funds because you're not, you don't need the payroll for those individuals, and so it fits into that theme where automation is key. And, AI, and Gen AI automation is going to be what encourages some level of funding that's reasonable, but mm -hmm. at the same time also provide the automation for startups where you would normally rely on actual humans and the cost of hiring humans to fulfill those roles. Yeah, I agree. Now, our last two of the Take 5, one leads into the other. So I'm going to start with one. This is one that, that I came up with, and that's misinformation created by generative AI. So deep fakes, we've talked about deep fakes before. Why is it so important for 2024? It's because it's going to be an election year. And we saw hints of it a little bit the last election and the election before that. We saw how analytics can have an impact on an election beyond just generative AI. So now it's the technology is continuing to build towards it. And we're seeing 
the potential for faked content to distract, misinform a public is, I think, a legitimate concern. And, and you're really in, in the deep fake kind of world. You work with Interpol, you're on their select group of experts that they brought in. Is that something that you're talking about in those committees is the issue of misinformation? Yeah, it's misinformation, disinformation, deep fakes at a very practical real world level. Oftentimes these trends happen in the criminal world first, right? They're the most motivated to use deep fakes in order to achieve illicit goals. And there's a lot of ID fakes that are going out there. That's the latest with Interpol and the detection and prevention of digital online fakes. So when you talk about IDs, they've been faked for centuries, right? Identification cards and passports and things of that nature, documents, certificates, they're all faked. But again, when you're talking about a more digital world, it's the actual digital representation or the digital photo of those IDs that are being submitted online more frequently nowadays because that's the method of gaining access to financial services and other public services where an ID to to authenticate who you are is being done through a web interface of some kind. And the fact that you can create a digital version of an ID without manufacturing the physical version from scratch is really dangerous. And so, mm-hmm. again, it, since everything's digital, you can deep fake anything. That's the idea is because it's digitized. So I think the trend there is more crime as it relates to those sorts of things. And I'm keeping an eye on, on what the practical impact of that is or the practical use cases are. And, you know, in an election year, that's going to be super important where we don't do online voting yet in the U.S., but imagine if we did and authenticating the identification of a person person is going to be that much more challenging when deep fakes are involved. You know, we still do that physically by showing up at the polls. And so I predict that there's going to be a, a trend towards the physical. Like I'm thinking about my world where I testify in Zoom court. There's going to be, I think, uh, because we haven't grappled with that deep fake challenge and haven't adopted or integrated the anti-deep fake technologies, which do exist, it's basically Gen AI that's fighting Gen AI, but Gen AI for good as opposed to Gen AI for bad. So there are things that will detect IDs and if they're fake, there's companies that are doing that. But again, in terms of we don't have a solution yet for authenticating a deep faked expert witness that might be used to deliver depositions or testimony in Zoom court. Again, since you have that digital layer, that digital delivery mechanism, it can be faked. And so there's going to mm-hmm. be a trend to going back physical again. That's going to be one of the outcomes of a deep fake threat is do, and having that kind of cloistered reaction to it. It's, oh, we got to go back to the old way of doing things because of this threat. It's just like going back to, to the office. Work from home is going to be, is already something that's being challenged. And hey, you've got to come back to the office. Not for the deep fake threat of that, but it, it might accelerate that type of reaction is we need to have face to face because I don't know, or because we haven't grappled or have a mechanism for challenging that. I th- and then the other direction that some companies and some government agencies or industries will go is let's adopt the anti-deepfake technology and weave them into our system so that we're not going backwards, but going forwards to deal with this threat. But I think there's going to be two camps there, one going backwards and one going forward. And it's going to be a pretty strong reaction either way. 
Well, let's talk about that because that rolls right into the last topic, which is GAI authentication. And part of authentication is identification. There are some efforts, it sounds like from what you're saying, where companies are looking at being able to identify the deep fake content. But then there are also other projects that legitimate uses of Gen AI or legitimate uses, legitimate publications, maybe it's not Gen AI created, there's a level of wanting to authenticate that so it, you know that it does have the provenance you want. There's a content authenticity initiative where they're working with a whole like bench of different content creators focusing on visual first, whether it's the creator of cameras like Leica or software associated with that or the platforms where those outputs would get posted, making sure that there's metadata that in essence follows that. So how successful do you think that will be at combating ill uses of generative AI? Uh, I don't think it's going to be 100% successful. You're not going to get 100% adoption, but it will be a database that we can reference, right? For those participants like Nikon, like Sony, like Canon, who are the camera, the image capture of the kind of, if you take EDRM, for example, the far left or upfront <laughs> stage of creativity, which is the actual image capture itself, or Adobe, who is the main mover behind the content authenticity initiative and building tools, the authenticity or provenance metadata into their tools like Photoshop, Illustrator, Premiere. Those are all things that people use industry-wide for creative purposes. So if you can kind of get adoption at that point and then get adoption uh, across the entire spectrum, whether it's um, uploading to a social media site or even the operating system participating in, okay, once I have this media or once I have these files, I'm going to report back to the CAI server and record the metadata and compare it to how it was at the previous step to kind of do the tracing and, and provenance there. But that's more like classic digital forensics. I think that there's two things that in my digital forensics world that's involved with deep fake forensics, which is the provenance, the tracking, the metadata. We're already doing that with uh, exfiltration cases, for example, like where did this file and how, how did the metadata change as it went from the laptop to the USB drive or the laptop to the cloud storage and then download it again? And how did the metadata change? Does it have the same date created? Does it have the same MD5 hash value? So we were already doing it. So this is very consistent with traditional uh, forensics and, and provenance tracing. But then there's the actual, if you don't have the systems and you ha can't forensically capture a image of those systems so that you can study the artifacts, all you're left with is the actual file itself or the media, the synthetic media. And then there's going to be a discipline around how do you just by observing, no metadata available, but just by observing the content of that image or that video, determine that it's a deep fake. And like I said, there's Gen AI tools that are doing the detection now. It's looking at the pixelation. It looks, it's looking at the frame rate blur and looking at inconsistencies between the object or the subject and, its, the, and the surroundings to be able to make some kind of similarity judgment. It's not as black and white as yes or no, it's a deep fake, but what's the likelihood that it's a deep fake? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and actually that audio file that I created with MusicFX 
it has a watermark embedded in the the waveform. Now, I, of course, looked at the properties of the file after I downloaded it to see if, like, ooh, is there anything I can tell that it's there? And of course not. You know, is that going to be expected if you upload something with generative AI? Is there going to be a flag that, that pops up or some sort of signal to people like, portions of this post was used with generative AI, but maybe that's yeah. something we'll talk about for 2025 predictions. <laughs> well, I do know that there's already technology out there that will help protect individuals and their individual privacy. For example, there is a, let's say, microphone software technology that will take out key waveforms, sound, sound waves within your voice, such that it cannot be replicated by your more standard deepfake tools, you know? Um, So yeah, so you can um, mask your voice using special technology or a special device. I mean, I can imagine a time where, what's that? I uh, sorry, it makes me the actors, think of yeah. the, the the Screen Actors Guild or anyone who does yeah. audiobooks or anything like that. Wow, right? It's like razzle, have... it's razzle dazzle or whatever that's called the the obfuscation of things. To wow, I love it. That's so yeah, exciting. It, I didn't know about that, Jerry. That's that's new. So it, um, you know, for example, like if you're with the facial recognition, there's clothes that you can buy that will thwart <laughs> the facial recognition cameras. There's devices and software that you can use to thwart the the voice emulation uh, or if you did record it you couldn't use it effectively in any deep fake replication tool so you can imagine I, I like personal items maybe built into fashion just to bring it full circle that are designed to thwart the ability of these uh, ability for your person or your likeness to be sent into a training model in the first place and that mm. was going to protect you from a data privacy individual level. So those things are going to come to the forefront too, in terms of what what's going to be manufactured and available to consumers on a retail level. And I think people would be interested in that. So I love that you brought it back to fashion. That's exactly where my thought, I was like, ooh, this is going to like someone has, this has to get integrated into fashion some way. Well, Jerry, we're at the end of our take five. It's been a wild year. In some ways, I feel like 2023 went by so fast, but Last January also feels really far away. I'm really glad we were able to get together here at the end of the year and give our predictions. And hopefully we'll be able to pick back up our take fives in 2024 at some point. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Well, do you have any closing comments that you'd like to share? Closing thoughts? If you supported Bowie and Burns, uh, you know, and the content that we created under the All Your Data brand, just purely for educational purposes, uh, we, we're invested in the community, in the industry, and we want to relay the most useful interpretation of, the, of emerging tech as possible. That's our mission uh, and our philosophy, and we'll stick with that in 2024. Absolutely. All right. Well, that, I hope everyone has a very, very happy holiday and happy new year. So. Thanks, everybody. Bye, y'all.